Michael, I have been looking forward to having you. We have known each other for over 10 years at this point. It's been a long and time. <laughs> we, we, we have co-hosted dinners. We, we, we did New York, uh, you know, just like all, all sorts of things. And uh, there's no way for the people listening in to uh, know this, but just some of the uh, frameworks that I've learned from you around relationship building in particular uh, have been fantastic for me uh, and to the point of contributing to me being able to meet, you know, like Jay Abraham, the man that's known for creating $21.7 billion in profits uh, for his clients, you know, and yeah. I just wanted to lead in with that because one of the first frameworks that I ever learned from you uh, was the AIM framework. But before we dive into that, for the people sure. who have no idea who you are and what you do, how <laughs> sure. would you describe? Yeah. So uh, basically, I help thoughtful givers become thought leaders. Uh, so there are a lot of people who are very, very good at doing the work and serving their clients, um, but they deprioritize packaging their own intellectual property. And the way that I like to think about this is that most subject matter experts are scientists by nature. They're very, very good at sort of figuring out sort of how to do the work and, and how to really kind of get deep into their area. But the challenge that they often have is in being the celebrity, being uh, willing to sort of like do the relationship building and actually promote their, their services. And then finally, uh, also being the magician coming up with ways to package those ideas and those concepts in such a way that it creates kind of a mystique around them. And everybody wants to talk to them and have conversations with them. And, and that is really that aspect of becoming referable, being a referable brand. So mm -hmm. a lot of the work that I end up doing is taking these unseen geniuses and figuring out how do we package those ideas and those concepts and get those things together so that they become the person that everybody's talking about mm. in the room um, when they're not there in a good way. I love this for many reasons because it makes me think of Simon Sinek's, you know, just, just, just like concept of, you know, it's like it's, it's the why, not how. But what mm. I love about the conversation we're having here is that there's actually a step that becomes before the why, mm -hmm. which is who, because the who yeah. comes up with the why. And so I'd love to hear more about that framework that you were sharing earlier about, I, th I think it was scientists. Uh, and could you, yeah. could you share more? Sure. Um, scientist, celebrity, magician. So the way I like to think about it is I call this the thought leadership triple threat. So as you know, I come from the theater world. I went from being a high school English teacher to becoming a Broadway producer in under two years. And a lot of the study that I did was around relationship building and networking and sort of figuring out sort of how do we make these sort of larger scale things happen. But one of the things that I saw sort of within that world is that when you become the person that everybody wants to introduce to other people, everything becomes easier from the standpoint of you're just, you're, you're kind of the shiny object for all of your friends. So mm. if we go back to this idea of the triple threat in the theater world, the triple threat it, for actors is actor, singer, dancer, or dancer, singer, actor, 
there's basically a, a hierarchy depending on what type of performer you are. So if you're a really, really fantastic actor, then you, and you might be kind of like a, okay, you know, pretty good singer. Um, and then you're just like, you can move in terms of dance, right? <laughs> like, like you're not, yeah. you know, you're not going to do it in, you know, major combinations, but you can move and, and you can move relatively well. Then you're an actor, singer, dancer. And the goal of the triple threat is to basically be like, okay, well, where are my weak spots and how do I sort of work those up? Mm -hmm. So what I started to notice when I was looking at all of the different folks that we follow, all the people that we pay attention to in terms of thought leadership and sort of that world, I realized that they are in essence, these triple threats and they are a combination of the scientists, the celebrity and the magician hmm. and just like the actor triple threats there are people who basically one of them is stronger than the others hmm. so perfect example malcolm gladwell scientist uh, magician okay. celebrity I see. right because he doesn't do a lot of self-promotion he doesn't do a lot of those types of things so celebrity is kind of on the bottom mm -hmm. right but tim ferris Celebrity, scientist, magician. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right? Yeah. So the thing is, most of the time, we're not paying attention to those other parts of our triple threats. And most subject matter experts, like once you get to the point where you're a subject matter expert, you've spent all of your time in the lab, right? Like you're the scientist. Like you've really kind of thought through your service, your offer, what you want to put out there, but you haven't yet thought through how are you going to actually get other people to want it, to talk about it, to be interested in what you have? And I can't tell you the number of people, they're really great at the work that they do. But the idea of actually sharing that work with others and talking about themselves is horrifying to them. So that celebrity piece is way buried down on the bottom and they're worried about promoting themselves or talking about what they have to offer or selling or any of those types of things. So in that triple threat category, they really need to focus on building that up. They've got to start mm. to work on that side of things because they've got the scientists at the very top, mm. right? Oh, okay. So my mind is piecing this together and it, it's, it's a very intriguing concept. I'm curious for my own purposes, as well as uh, anyone that's listening in. So celebrity, would that be, would that match up with then the marketing piece? And then would the, with the, with the, uh, the scientist delivery and then uh, with sales, the magician. So I would say if it fails, I, if it sells, I think that it's kind of a combination um, because celebrity is a big, big aspect of whether sales sort of happen, okay. right? Um, and that that ties to this idea that we were talking about before, but before we started of the aspirational market and the excellence market, hmm. right? So the aspirational market has the belief that whoever they're buying from is going to basically be their savior, right? So if I'm in an aspirational market, 
I'm probably not as sophisticated. I don't understand the inner workings of a lot of things. And I'm basically looking for somebody to tell me what to do. Right now, upstream from that is the excellence market. And an excellence market pretty much never is interested in, in learn in having you tell them what to do. They're more interested in having you tell them ideas or ways to think. Mm-hmm. Like that's what they're most interested in. So if we go yep. back to this idea, sales very often end up being elevated by that sort of celebrity component because mo- a large portion of sales end up happening within aspirational markets. Now, it's not that you can't sell to an excellence market, but if we look at the largest of companies, those companies basically sell to an aspirational market, right? So if we look at something like Amazon, most of us have no idea all the ins and outs of the products that we're buying. So we basically trust Amazon to help us understand whether or not that product is worth it or not, Hmm. because we're not an expert in that area. Like we haven't thought through, like I'm not going to sit there and, you know, pour over all of the details of a, you know, flosser, I'm going to read a bunch of Amazon reviews, mm-hmm. right? So I'm an aspirational buyer in that particular market. But let's say I've had a lot of sophistication in something and I've spent a lot of time studying something. I'm an excellence buyer in that market. Mm-hmm. So because I've spent so much time in marketing and co- the world of copywriting and all those different types of things, I'm an excellence buyer in that market where I'm looking for hyper, hyper specific things to learn as opposed to being like, I just want a marketing for dummies book to figure mm-hmm. out sort of how I'm going to sort of get my stuff, get, get my stuff out there. Uh, so the thing is like, whatever we're kind of leading with a lot of the time can really, uh, basically either promote, uh, the interest of the aspirational or the excellence market. And that's why this triple threat is so important because ideally what you would want to do is what all the large companies have done, which is capture the aspirational market, find the excellence curious in that Mm. aspirational market, and then sell to the excellence to the excellence market. But you never get to the point where you can sell to an aspirational market until you've actually gone deep enough to sell something to that savvy buyer, that excellence market, and actually proving your success within that, right? Mm. Because that's what creates the celebrity. That's what gives you that sort of next sort of level of um, consideration from that particular market. That is fascinating. What my mind is doing with that is Looking at it through the lens of the modern consultant, many consultants are ultimately pursuing that excellence market, you know, uh, and then also then, you know, it's like, okay, sharing expertise, you know, mm-hmm. and being the trusted advisor, you know, to their, you know, high ticket clients, you know, their premium high end clients, you know, who, and maybe it's like 80% how to think about it and 20% implementation, if any implementation whatsoever because these clients already have all of these systems and what they don't what they don't have is the strategic guidance to be able to then architect and configure the systems to be able to get the outputs experience and outcomes that they want exactly exactly and that and that's the thing when you 
when you reach a point where you help people think differently, that's when you've really got something, right? Mm. When you're, when you're teaching people how to do something, there are, I can watch a YouTube video on how to, right? I can watch a YouTube yeah. video and see tons of different, you know, tactics. I can do all of those things for free. But the second that you've created something that gets me to think differently and actually have a way of looking at a process or, you know, that changes the way that I am doing everything, then I'm like, I need to spend more money yeah. on that. I need to go deeper with that because there's no way that all of the specifics can be addressed just by learning the framework, right? Just by learning, uh, you know, understanding the, pro you know, understanding the process. So in essence, you're, you're creating that curiosity with that excellence market. And that's a very, very big part of what the magician does. The magician's job is to make it so that basically we're, we're so curious about whatever it is that you have behind the scenes. We're so curious as to how you do the trick that we're going to pay you anything mm. to figure out how you did the trick. Uh, that brings up so many other uh, scenarios that I think are just uh, juicy for us to dive into. Again, here's what my mind is doing with that. Yeah. There are many people out there that teach people how to create courses or create their first mm -hmm. course. And uh, many people come to me uh, because they are looking to not create the first course, but rather the next course, which tends to be more strategic. It's higher end and essentially selling in some parts to the excellence market or the aspirational market, the sub-segment of that aspirational market that has, that is maybe already on the pathway to excellence as well. Mm -hmm. And so willing and able to pay a higher ticket premium for information and ways of thinking that they can't get anywhere else. And one of the distinctions that I see between those two kinds of courses is uh, something that you alluded to earlier, where you have a uh, a lot of technical implementation. Maybe it's like 80% implementation and maybe 20% strategy, if even that much. Whereas mm -hmm. we can flip that. We can have 80% way of thinking with 20% implementation where it's going to then get like, you know, the most bang for the most buck. And that's going to have a longer lasting impact and also be more evergreen because ways of thinking don't go out of date, really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and the thing is, once somebody has gotten you to think differently, you will talk about that way of thinking to everybody that you know, because it makes you look good. Mm -hmm. and, and ultimately, when we, when we deal with referability, when we deal with why do people talk about our stuff, it ultimately comes down to how do they look when they're sharing it with their network? How do mm -hmm. they look? They look informed. They look like they've got interesting ideas. They look like they're coming up with really cool things, right? So the second that we've come up with something that others are like, I haven't heard that before. And I wonder, you know, if anybody else has not heard that before. And as, as human beings, we seek novelty, right? Like that's a big, big part of our, the way our brains are processed, right? We seek novelty. So if, if suddenly somebody's like, Everybody's been doing it this way, but this person told me to think about it this way. 
then they're going to keep talking about that person who got them to think about it this way, right? Because everything else feels like I'm just saying the same thing. I'm just talking about the same thing with everybody. And everybody wants to show up with this, like, here's this new idea, right? Like, here's this new way of think, you know, thinking about it. And if you show up, I, I often refer to this as being Prometheus. If you show up into a, in a market where they've never heard of it or never even thought about that, even if that thing that you're doing is, is commonplace in your market to them, to that other market that's never heard of it, you are bringing fire. They are fascinated with what it is that you're doing. And I think that this is the thing that we don't do nearly enough. Most of the time what ends up happening is we sort of decide on a market, we sort of sell to that market, and we never explore this idea of sleeper markets, where my favorite story about this is Wicked, right? So Wicked is a very, very well-known Broadway show. But what a lot of folks don't realize about Wicked was that a big factor in the success of Wicked was Wicked was the first Broadway show to actually appeal to a sleeper market. Hmm. So Broadway is basically tourists and New Yorkers for the most part. Like that's really what you're kind of mostly dealing with in, term, in terms of your audience. And before Wicked, if you had children, your choice was to go and see children's shows or drag your, your child to see a show that wasn't necessarily appropriate or, or really kind of a good fit. For, for that kid, there was nothing on Broadway that appealed to tweens. There was hmm. nothing for that middle awkward market. And suddenly you get this show with two female protagonists who are going through this awkward phase, this awkward period, hmm. and it just takes off. Right. Yeah. It just takes off because nobody on Broadway was bringing their tweens to anything, to anything. So now they cornered that market. So the thing is, like, we have all of these instances where often if we're selling, we're, we're pushing and we're sort of trying to find, like, okay, what do people think of this, et cetera? When really the best thing that we can do is to look at, is there a different angle that I could approach what I'm doing or what I'm creating? And is there a sleeper market that might actually spend way more money on this or just not be nearly as discerning or, or, or going crazy? And the interesting thing about that is often that sleeper market is completely aspirational. Hmm. Because we're start, like, we're getting, you know, we're the one who like, we actually studied the thing and we understand it. So the yeah. thing is, a hedge fund manager will have obscene amounts of money, right? And if I'm a if I'm a copywriting person, and that hedge fund manager's never heard of copywriting, never even learned anything at all about direct response, and I teach them the the basics of setting something up so that they can have more conversations with potential people who are going to who are going to basically invest in their hedge fund and be involved in, the, in their hedge fund. And I teach them how to do that with a website. That person isn't spending $5,000 on that. They're going to spend a lot more 
because they could make millions or billions, mm. depending on what it is. And they're, they haven't heard of it. They haven't seen it, right? So, so the interesting thing is, a lot of the time we think that aspirational markets are only going to be, okay, they're not going to spend, you know, they're not going to spend a, a ton of money. But if we're, we've got a, an industry that's got a very, very high financial ceiling, and they're basically like, this is, you know, chump change for me in, in regards to what they're, you know, what, what they're spending, even though they're aspirational, they, they could be excellence for us, right? In okay. terms of what they're willing to do and, 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 and that side of things. So I think like very, very often, especially consultants, right? Cause, mm -hmm. cause the thing is like, if you're a consultant, you're going to be in a, in that like red sea, right? Like if we're talking about like the bloody ocean of competition, we're talking blue ocean and all the, you know, all those types of things, you're probably in the blue, you're probably in the bloody ocean and you probably don't have a lot of blue oceans, right? So a sleeper market is probably one of the best things. If you just sat down and basically said, who am I not selling to? You might identify somebody who would spend way more on whatever it is you're creating than you would ever thought possible. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating because one um, of my past stories uh, that came to mind with regards to this is, is actually the first instance of, uh, or the first inquiry rather, uh, for doing a VIP day uh, with me. And it was when I was doing a done for you projects exclusively, uh, and I actually ended up turning it down, uh, because I was like, no, I only do done for you implementation. That's what I do. <laughs> I, got, I don't do the consulting like advisory thing, you know, but they were willing to pay one third of this long-term contract, uh, that we had at the time for me to fly in for a weekend and basically teach them everything I know you know, over mm -hmm. the weekend, you know, and, and, and now like I, I have VIP day offerings where, you know, it's not two days, but again, it's most, it's, it's, it's for the aspirational market that is moving into the excellence market. But even just as yeah. I'm listening to you, you're not giving me ideas for, huh, maybe there's a, you know, a aspirational market. That's a sleeper, you know, market that yeah. I'm not even thinking about right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there always is. Right. So the, the mistake that we make most of the time is we live in the echo chamber of the enlightened mm. where whatever our industry is, whatever our world is, we're meeting a lot of other people who are also are doing very, very similar things. Right. So we kind of hear, okay, this is how everything's done. This is how, this is who to sell to. Like, this is what it, you know, this is what it looks like. So most of the time we never look at is there another market? Is there another group of people that would buy this particular thing or could use this particular thing or could use this kind of, you know, this kind of support? Because we're living in that echo chamber of the enlightened. But if we just sort of take some time and we basically say, okay, who have I not sold to? And what were my assumptions? Because that's the thing. Our assumptions are, are probably the most dangerous part of our business. Yeah. Right. The second that I'm like, I think this is what we need to do, or I think this is what needs, you know, I, I think this is what needs to happen. Like, forget it. 
mm-hmm. right? Forget it. It it is you know one of the one of those elements where if we just stop tapping into those assumptions and we basically say like, you know what? I am not sure if this is actually the truth. And we actually dig in and we say like, okay, why don't I just test it? Why don't I test it? I think that this, this market has no money. Why don't I test it? Yeah. You know, I don't think these people would be interested at all in what this thing is. Okay. Why don't I test Mm. it? Drop somebody a line, see what I can find out, you know, see what I can discover. To your point, uh, it brings up this quote, gosh, I'm not sure if it's like Rumsfeld, uh, who had this quote where it's like, there are the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's sounding like it's the unknown unknowns, uh, that are the most dangerous, uh, to a business and a client story of actually one of my first like VIP days uh, slash workshops that I did. I remember at the beginning of it, I, the, the assumption was nobody would pay that much, you know? Yeah. And my, my response to them was like, hmm, interesting hypothesis. Are you willing to validate that with data? And they paused and yeah. like, okay. And then we did an audience survey and found out that there were people that were willing to pay 10 times the upper limit of what they thought was yeah. possible. Yeah. Why? Yeah. 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 And that's the thing. It's like we, we look at our world and we look at what is a lot of money to us. And we often make the assumption that that is a lot of money to somebody else. But Every single industry has a financial ceiling and a financial floor. And some industries, the financial ceiling is pretty low where it's like a thousand dollars is a lot, you know, to, to, you know, to spend and the no brainer price for, you know, somebody who a thousand dollars is their ceiling might be a $99 thing or a $59 thing. But if my ceiling is in the millions or even the billions, then my floor financially could be 25, 50,000. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even thinking about that. Like that is literally a click and buy for me. If that's the way my brain is working. And so when I sort of see the value or sort of see what the, you know, what the thing is that is being offered. Yeah. Right. And we just, we have to be very, very careful of making any assumptions about value and what mm. people actually value and what they're looking for. And I think that all too often, and this actually is a big, big part of how I see a lot of consultants, folks in, you know, in this, in this space end up in scenarios where they're meeting with people who can't pay. And they're meeting with people who can't pay because they created this messaging that Mm. was around, you're going to make millions overnight, Mm. right? You're going to have this magical transformation and suddenly be able to pay all, you know, 
pay all of your bills or whatever the, you know, whatever the scenario is. And what does that do that attracts the person who wants the silver bullet? Mm. Right. And the thing is, the only people who end up believing in silver bullets are the people who have wolves at the door. Yeah. So you have to be very, very careful because there's so much out there that sort of creates this marketing dynamic of, well, let's, you know, let's talk about this miraculous transformation and get other, but you're appealing to an aspirational market when you're doing that. And that aspirational market is going to spend a very, very small amount and, and believe and hope that that very, very small amount is suddenly going to give them the biggest transformation and give them everything that they, you know, that, that they desire. And that is, if you're a consultant, you never, ever, ever want to be seen as somebody's savior. Yep. You never want to be seen as that. You want to be seen as their partner. You want to be seen as a person who is helping them think through something, who sees things that they don't see. You never want to be seen as you're going to fix it. Because if you don't, oh man, it's mm -hmm. not going to be pretty. You then become responsible for that person's success. Exactly. Uh, and they aren't able to take ownership um, of creating the result uh, for themselves. And you definitely don't show them how to, you know, you're definitely not, uh, no, you're no longer the business of teaching somebody how to fish. You become responsible yeah. for fishing for them yes. every single time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's to just, a, it's a really, really hard place to be. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that you always want to have conversations and, and craft messages and put things out there that suggest that you are going to help them think differently about this. You are going to guide them. You are going to support them in their path, but you are not going to solve it all for them, fix it all for them. Do that's the, that's really the dangerous zones. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. Topic jump. Sure. The aim framework. What sure. is it? How did it come to be? Sure. Um, so as I said, I started kind of thinking about this whole referability concept, right? Uh, and I started thinking about, well, why is it? that we share ideas and, and, and different types of things. And what it, I landed on was AIM, which is accessibility, influence, and memory. Uh, your first hurdle is always accessibility. It's always, can people outside of your industry actually understand what you're talking about, right? Like ultimately that's really what it comes down to. Can people feel like they're getting it? Mm -hmm. And often what I find is, I call it finding your Celine. So there's, Classic story from Power of Habit where Hey Ya by Outcast comes out. Everybody shuts off the radio immediately because the sound is so different. So the radio stations to basically get that song into, into the public eye start sandwich it, sandwiching it between songs that all sound the same, right? Mm. So that people will listen all the way through. And one of those artists was Celine Dion because, you know, if you've heard one Celine Dion song, congratulations, <laughs> you've heard them all, right? So the way that I like to think about this is you, you need to find your Celine. Most mm -hmm. consultants basically try to sell their hey-ya. 
They try mm. to sell whatever their innovation is, whatever their cool thing is. And they're like, hey, but you've got to find your Celine. You got to find the thing that everybody gets and everybody understands and then introduce them to your innovation. Then introduce them to the way that you're thinking and your process and you know all those different types of things. But they've got to first feel like they get and sort of understand what you're talking about, right? Mm. And the thing is, from an access, from a referability standpoint, if you don't have accessibility, you're not going to, you're, you're dead in the water when it comes to referability, because if I can't get it, if I can't understand it, I'm not going to share it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about it. If you make me feel like an outsider, I'm not going to keep the conversation going, mm. right? I, I was talking about this this morning in another interview where there, there's a lot of this uh, aspect of people sending messages to folks and being like, I looked at your page or I looked at this and here's all the problems with it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you're going to insult me in our first interaction, then why in the world would I continue a conversation with you? Yeah. Like that's just not going to happen. That's the accessibility piece. The second piece is influence. And most of the time when we think about influence, we think about it in the context of persuasion because there's a lot of stuff out there about persuasion. And it's like, how do I influence you? How do I get you to do something? But true influence is if you do something without me asking you to do it. So what's the only reason you're going to do something without me asking you to do it if it makes you look good? So the mistake that I see made is that often people will try to sort of create this thing and be like, this is how cool I look. And what they need to do is think about how cool will this makes someone else look, right? So you always want to think through if somebody were to share my concept or share my idea, how is it going to make them look? Because once you've gotten to that point, once you've gotten to the point where people are like, they want to, talk to other people about your ideas or they want to introduce you because it makes them look good, then you're in a very, very good position because you always have kind of that halo effect when there's introductions because people are like, you absolutely have to meet this person, right? They're like, mm -hmm. you need to work with them. You need to know them, right? And that's what you want. Like you want that effect. Now, the thing is you can have accessibility and influence but if you don't have the M, which is memory, it's not like it doesn't matter because if people can't remember the concept or the idea, they are going to remember somebody else's concept or idea. Mm -hmm. The way that I like to think about it is if you want people to remember you more, you focus on less and that's language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. Mm -hmm. I'll start with language. If you have your own language for things. Basically, you carve a little piece of mental real estate in somebody's brain. And I'll, I'll show it for you in real time right now. If I say Venti, <laughs> there is no question about which coffee company I'm talking about. Yep. Because they've carved a piece of real estate in your brain based on their own language. I would say probably if I were to be like, hey, how many consultants have their own language for things? Mm. Percentage is probably that tiny. Mm -hmm. they're using every term word that they saw in whatever program they, they, they went through. Yep. They're calling their programs the same thing, all that stuff, their own language. 
very, very small percentage probably have their own language. Second is emotion. Emotional arousal basically causes the memory to hold more information. So when we're in heightened states of emotion, we remember far more details from whatever we're dealing with. And the easiest way to think about this is think about any film that ever made you cry. You can tell me the scene. You could probably tell me that scene in detail. Why? Because you were in a state of emotional arousal and your brain basically recorded certain elements and certain mm. details of that. Again, how many consultants do you know ever tap into emotion? Yeah. Right? It's, I can help you do this. I can help you do this. I, you know, we can talk about your, you know, your, your process, et cetera. How many of them ever tap into emotion, tell a personal story, talk about the pain, the challenges, the issues, right? Get into sort of that emotional component. Very, very few. But if you do, you hit that memory trigger for people and they will remember the experience. They will remember that thing that they read. They will remember that story that was told. Mm. Then there's simplicity. Academics for all of our lives have always rewarded complexity. We were yeah. rewarded in school for writing the big papers, for using the big words, but the memory rewards simplicity because our memory can only hold so much information at any given point in time. Mm -hmm. So if you don't make whatever it is that you want to share simple for people, then they're probably not going to share it. If it's a 34 point system, they're never going to share it. If it's a three point system, they're going to share it because it's easy to remember. It's easy to pass on. And that leads to the last one, which is structure. Our brains need order in order to process information. We need to know this comes first, this comes second, this comes third. If we're going to transfer that information and share it with somebody else. So if we don't create a structure a way for people to be able to process that information and pass it along mm. and a structure that makes sense, it's not really going to work. And AIM has that structure because A, it spells something, right? Which basically ties to sort of the memory piece, but B, it goes in order of importance. Mm. You cannot reach anything if you don't figure out your accessibility problem. If people don't understand you, you can't go any further. It's not like you're going to be stuck if people do not understand what it is that you do or what it is that you can offer. And once you figure that out, you're still not going to go very far unless other people are talking about you. So you have to master influence. Hmm. And it won't matter if you have those other two things. If you haven't got the memory piece, if people can't remember it, they're going to share somebody else's stuff, even if it's not as good as yours. I have so many questions. And <laughs> the first one is, have you ever overlaid the two frameworks that we've discussed uh, inside of this call onto each other? Because it sounds like the scientist may be better you know, at different portions of aiming, you know, and may yep. also have different gaps. I'm just suspecting that scientists is uh, probably a little bit worse <laughs> at getting yeah. the memorability uh, and accessibility yeah. components. 
Yeah. So, so most of the time, um, so there's, there are referability partners, right? And referability partners in your life can basically sort of help you really get to a point where they'll help you with whatever your triple threat issues are, right? So the referability partners are translators, amplifier, amplifiers, and producers. So translators are very, very good at making things accessible, right? So translators are fantastic when it comes to listening to whatever it is that you're doing and being like, okay, this is how to make this accessible. So if you're a scientist, you prob if science is your like top thing and you're having trouble with celebrity and magician, you probably need a translator in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of help you kind of figure out, okay, how am I communicating my science sort of to others? Amplifiers are the connectors of the world. Right. They're the ones who basically get messages out to sort of larger, larger worlds and larger, larger people. They're always connecting and sort of making opportunities kind of happen. So if celebrity is your weak point, then you do need those amplifiers to help you out. And that's really ultimately what the whole sort of influence piece is. Right. Because if others are talking about you and your ideas, if you are the thing that they are sharing with others because it makes them look good, then you're going to be shared with others, right? Like it's going to go, like you're going to get the referrals, you're going to get the opportunities. Now, if the magician side is what you struggle with, that's when you need a producer. Because producers are able to recognize talent and figure out how to exploit the talent, right? That's their job is to figure out, okay, this is this thing that you have, and this is how we make it bigger. This is how we do more. And producers often have kind of the cheat code of the industry, right? Mm. Like they're able to kind of look and say like, okay, don't spend your time here. Spend your time here. Don't, don't go to this event. Go to this event. That type of, that type of thing. Yeah. So... If you are struggling with that magician piece with really kind of like, you know, getting folks to, uh, you know, be like, oh my God, I, I, I need to buy this. I, I, you probably, you know, uh, you probably need a producer to help you out and support you in the journey that you have. That makes a world of sense. And I could continue talking to you for hours. Like I have so, I have so, I have so many questions and we have so many years of catching up to do. Um, yeah. But to also be mindful of uh, everyone listening in, just even processing these two giant frameworks that we've done deep dive on. Uh, yeah. I have like only about two or three questions uh, for okay. on this episode yeah. that we feature you on because we, we already need to do another one. <laughs> um, the first one is if you were stuck on a desert island with one dessert, which one would you choose? And why? Oh. I, this is a tough one, but I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with one of the Levain cookies. <laughs> um, those are really, really good. Those are really, really good. Um, and they have a, they have a special edition one during the summer that's a rocky road. Uh, and I think I would probably have to go with that because that is a oh. really, really good cookie. 
<laughs> I love how I love how specific that was. And there was no way for you to have known this, but it's a perfect lead in to the harder question, which is mm-hmm. if you have to choose between chocolate chip cookie or oatmeal raisin cookie, which one would you choose? Uh, chocolate chip. No, like, no, 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 God does. No, God does. Oh my God. I don't think I've eaten one good oatmeal raisin in my, probably in my entire life. I mean, maybe like once there might've been one where I was like, okay, that's okay. If not chocolate chip every, every day. Every single guest, there has been no, no in between on this. Like everybody is either hard one way or the other and it's like 80 percent right? chocolate chip and like 20 percent oatmeal raisin it's wow it's fascinating yeah god bless yeah. the oatmeal raisin people i like if you can do it <laughs> you can do it if you're like that is what i like man wow uh, and the 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 final question for you is yeah if you could go back in time to the development of your frameworks coming up with the language for your own IP, what advice, now knowing everything that you know, would you give yourself? Um, I would probably say, um, talk about this on larger platforms sooner. I think that I spent a lot of time in the early stages just kind of saying it in like everyday conversations and every once in a while I get an intro or, or something. Um, but it took me a while to get to the point where it was like, Oh, share this on a larger platform, talk to, mm-hmm. you know, put this out, uh, in a, in a more sort of prominent, uh, you know, prominent way. And I think that, yeah, that, that's what I would, that's what I would go with. More celebrity is what I'm hearing. 100%. 100%. If I like if if when these things first started I spent more time with those with those amplifiers um and increase that sort of level of celebrity uh there would be a, a very very big shift in sort of the perception um mm. which I think what you know I I think is a is a really important part of the of the whole thing. There you have it for anyone that's listening in and you are Maybe on the fence, we're not moving as fast as you could about stepping into your own celebrity. You've heard it here first, you know, that now yep. is the time. And yep. where can we find out more about you? Sure. Um, so uh, you can go to myreferabilityrater.com, um, which basically uh, you can take a referability test and you can kind of see an accessibility, influence, and memory. Uh, to sort of see what, what it's about. And then you get a uh, invite to, I've got a daily email. Uh, you get an invite from there. Uh, you can also find me on all the socials. I'm on, uh, you know, I'm at, uh, LinkedIn. I'm at, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the book of faces, all, all those places. Um, and then, uh, there's also smallpawnenterprises.com, which is currently being, uh, currently being revised with all of these new, yeah, with all of these new things. So, uh, excited to, uh, start putting some more of that, uh, more of that stuff into the world as well excited to see it yeah yeah uh that's thank you so much uh for all of this and i can't wait for the next one yeah thanks for having me hey thanks for checking out the show if you liked it go ahead and hit the like button and also subscribe so you don't miss another one it also tells us which ones that you like the most so that we can then do more interviews like that 
If you want to go from idea to implementation though, especially if you're wanting to productize your expertise so that you can scale your impact on your clients and of course grow your business, then join our email list. There we're going to talk about how modern consultants can productize their expertise so that they can have a greater impact on the world around them and live life on their terms. If that's up your alley, I hope to see you on the other side. Talk soon.